Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, at this time, I'm going to call Justin up, and I would love to pray for him before he gets started. That's right. Yep. There you go. All right. We pray for this brother as he prepares to bring the word for us. Father, we are so thankful that you have equipped faithful men in this body to declare your word and to equip your saints for the work of ministry. I pray today that you would refresh Justin, that you would use him, that he would be weak and you would be strong and that you would show off your strength through his weakness. That his word today would be a declaration for all of our hearts. It would help us to grow closer in love with you, to see you clear today. Refresh him, Lord. Bless him with your presence today. Help him hide behind your veil of grace and speak from heaven to us today through him. So Lord, we lift him and these words up to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Jay Will. Although every time someone comes up here, you give them a different title, and I never know what to do with that. Uh, well, good afternoon. Like Jay Will said, I'm Justin Gates. I serve on staff at Riverside Community Church, and I'm so excited to be here, and I'm honored to be here, and that Jay Will um, has asked me to open God's word with you this afternoon. Uh, We're continuing the series to the ends of the earth as we journey through the latter half of the book of Acts. Um, So our text today will be coming from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 16, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some in the pews right in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible in a language that's easy to read, please take one of those Bibles as a gift to you. But Acts chapter 15, verses 36 and following... And it reads, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and and had not gone with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and the sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I reflected on the text this past week, I've realized in my own life that I've historically done a poor job at seeking reconciliation after conflict. 
For the majority of my life, I've always tried to avoid conflict. And between the many conflicts that have happened with my own family and with my other relationships, I realize that my immediate reaction is to just run away. I know a lot of us don't like conflict. It's not something that's fun. But I go to the extreme, and if it, I even get the sense of conflict happening, I just want to get up and drive as far away as possible. Even the slight inkling of this tension that's growing between me and someone else, it, want, it forces me to flee. Moreover, I thought for the longest time that nothing good could ever come out of conflict, let alone I could never believe that one could be strengthened through the process of good conflict resolution and restoration. And I mention these things because that's what's happening in our text today. Up to this point, we've seen many great things happen with the early church. The book of Acts tells us the story of how the early church was growing and bringing many people to faith and believe in the death and resurrection of Christ. Moreover, we've seen the dividing wall that once existed between the Jew and the Gentile be demolished. It was torn down so that both these groups were now united under the greater banner of Christ. But the unity that existed within the growing church is about to change as we witness two of the great church fathers undergo a heated conflict that ultimately leads to separation. While it's never good to see a separation develop within God's church, my aim for a short time together this evening is to show how God can not only redeem such conflict, but how he actually uses that to strengthen his church and to proclaim his glory. Would you pray with me that God will help us in this endeavor? Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, through your holy scriptures, and that it's God-breathed. Lord, we thank you that your word is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. And Lord, we thank you that your spirit uses the word of God to teach us, the people of God, of all the things that pertain to you and how to live. So Father, we pray now that as we open your word and as we dive into your word, that you would give us open hearts and open minds and a posture to receive your spirit as he works in us and through us so that we become strengthened, so that we have a better understanding of how you redeem and how you give us the ability to reconcile. So Lord, we give you this time and ask that it be used for your glory and your purposes. Amen. So our text begins after a great debate has occurred within the church at Antioch. Recall back from chapter 15 that some men came to the Antioch church and they declared that circumcision was required for them, the Gentiles, to be saved. And after engaging in much argument and debate, Paul, Barnabas, and some other members of the church in Antioch were sent to Jerusalem to give some sense of finality of whether or not the Gentiles should be circumcised. And after much debate within the Jerusalem council, it was decided that calling the Gentiles to be circumcised was actually imposing too much of a difficulty upon them. After all, the Jews were saved by grace through Jesus Christ, as were the Gentiles who were saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Gentiles would no longer have to follow the ceremonial customs that the Jews practiced. Rather, the only thing that was required in Acts 15, verse 20, the only, or the only thing that was required was to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. So after coming to this decision, Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas, they delivered this news to the Antioch church. And it was much to the church's rejoicing. And after conveying all the details of this letter, Judas and Silas returned back to Jerusalem while Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch to strengthen the church and to proclaim to them the word of God. 
And this brings us to our text today in verse 36, where it says, after some time had passed, Paul addresses Barnabas and mentions, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Here we see that Paul wants to go back to the churches that he first helped establish to build up on his first missionary journey. Remember that Paul wasn't the pastor of one church. Rather, he was called by the Lord Jesus himself to be the apostle or the sent one to go to the Gentiles and to build the church there, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Now, Paul is living out this calling as he shows the deep compassion and concern he has for the welfare of God's people and his church. Here we see that Paul wants to go back. I'm sorry. So yeah, he's living out the calling that he has or that the Lord Jesus gave him. And since Facebook and cell phones didn't exist back in this time, he said we had to go there in person to visit them and check in on them. So he shares this desire to visit the churches with Barnabas. And that's where our story begins, that these two faithful servants of the Lord are united together to go and strengthen the churches. But this unity doesn't last long. In verse 37, we see a tension develop between the two as we're told that Barnabas wanted to take along John, also called Mark. But who was this man that Barnabas wanted to bring? Well, in Acts chapter 12, we're told that John Mark was the son of Mary. And this is the same Mary whose house Peter went to and recalled of the ways that the angel of the Lord freed him from prison. And later on in verse 25 of the same chapter, Luke, who's the author of Acts, goes on to say that John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their return trip to Jerusalem. Moreover, John Mark worked alongside Paul and Barnabas in Salamis, where they proclaimed the word of the God or the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. But this good work that was performed by John Mark was short-lived. In Acts chapter 13, you were told that John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas when they arrived in Perga. Unfortunately, Luke doesn't give us any details as to why he left. One could speculate maybe the, the hardships and the tension of ministry was getting to John Mark. Maybe he's seeing all the rejection that was being faced by the apostles. He's like, I don't want to be a part of that, and that's why he returns. We don't know. But regardless of what took place, he was a deserter. But Barnabas was ready to look past his desertion and to bring him back along to this new journey. After all, Barnabas, his name, he means he was a son of encouragement. Barnabas was the man who saw the potential in people. He saw the gifts they had and how they could use them to strengthen God's church. And I think Barnabas was doing the same here with John Mark. If I see what you can do, yes, you've messed up, but let's come back and help you grow. And I just think about how Barnabas stood alongside for and vouched for Paul when he first came to faith. As Barnabas stood before the Jerusalem church in Acts 9, he declared that Paul was this guy. Yes, he persecuted the church, but look how he came to Christ. Look at his amazing conversion. Look at the ways he's been proclaiming the word in Damascus. If it weren't for Barnabas, Paul wouldn't have been sent to Tarsus to go proclaim the gospel there, and he wouldn't have been brought to Antioch to build up the Gentile church that would just form there. And in the same vein, we see Barnabas now doing the same thing for John Mark, vouching for him and wanting him to come along. But despite this, Paul's memory of John Mark's desertion was still fresh in his mind. And this tension between the two continues to rise. And in verse 38, it tells us that Paul insisted that they should not take the man who deserted them to the one who did not work with them. Another way to translate this verse would be to say that Paul thought John Mark wasn't worthy of accompanying them because he didn't work alongside them because he left him. But can you see where Paul's coming from? And why would you want to bring along someone to go strengthen and help build up these churches when they could just abandon you again? 
Paul was a practical man. He knew what was needed to help build the church. And I can imagine him saying, we need someone who's been proven, who's been tested in the face of the hardships of ministry. To which Barnabas might have replied, but what about second chances? I can imagine a lot of back and forth existed between these two, but the tension and strain continued to build and it came to its climax in verse 39 as it tells us that such a sharp disagreement occurred that they parted company. This sharp disagreement or this paroxysm, this sudden outburst of uncontrollable emotion caused these two faithful church leaders to separate themselves from each other. Barnabas takes John Mark with him to Cyprus and Paul takes uh, Silas to visit the churches that he helped build and establish. And it makes me wonder, can you all think of a time in your own life where there was this tension between you and someone else that got so heated that there was a sudden outburst of emotion? Was it so intense that you wanted to walk away? Or maybe you did walk away. I remember earlier this year that my parents and I were having dinner at the table when I visited them and things got very heated. There was something that happened that caused much disagreement. And as I got more frustrated and angry in the middle of this conversation, I said some things I probably shouldn't have and I just left. I drove away and I didn't want to do the hard work of reconciling because it was too difficult. And that's what's taking place here between Barnabas and Paul, such a violent, if you will, outburst that it causes them to separate. And it's here that we see Luke's last mention of Barnabas and John Mark in the book of Acts. But thankfully, this isn't where the story ends. And even though we have just witnessed a heated, a heated falling out between these two heroes of the faith, we see later on in scripture that it is indeed possible to bring lasting reconciliation, even if it takes many years to come about. Throughout Paul's letters, we see that the apostle's view of John Mark has changed dramatically. He closes his letter to the Colossians by saying that the church in Colossae should welcome John Mark if he visits them. Moreover, towards the end of his life, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to go and to bring Mark to him because he's profitable for ministry. And finally, in the 24th verse of Philemon, the apostle declares that John Mark is his fellow worker. And even though John Mark deserted the apostles and was initially considered not worthy by Paul, he grew, presumably under the leadership, the faithful discipleship by Barnabas, and he was held in high regard by Paul. And I find it very difficult to believe that Paul would even mention John Mark, let alone talk about how he's profitable for ministry if they weren't reconciled prior to that. Similarly, we see the same thing happen with Barnabas. In his first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 9, verse 6 and following, Paul tells us that, do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? In this text, Paul is trying to make the case as to why both he and Barnabas deserve to be compensated for their work in ministry. But even though there's not an overt message of reconciliation here in this passage, what we do see is that Paul holds Barnabas in high regard. We see that he believes they're on the same team. And Paul held Barnabas in such a high regard that he says, hey, this brother is doing faithful work for the kingdom. He, deser- he deserves to be paid. Just as Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark are reconciled to each other, we too should do the hard work of reconciliation, especially after conflict. And we do that in order to maintain the unity of the body. We want to prevent such sharp disagreement from occurring that will cause others to separate or even divide the church. And Paul addresses this in his letter to the Ephesians. If you can, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 
and following. That's Ephesians 4, 31 and following. And this is after Paul tells the Ephesian church in 24 to put on the new self, which is created to God's likeness and righteousness and purity. And then jumping down to verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. For those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, being made new and putting on the new self, we remove all things that bring about destruction in our relationships. The bitterness, the anger, the wrath, the shouting, the slander, the malice, all these things are to be thrown off. Instead, we show kindness and compassion towards others, and we give that generously. We forgive one another and walk in love. This is what we're called to do. We should not be surprised when disagreements and conflicts erupt between us. They will happen. We're broken and sinful people that so often lash out in our emotions when they overwhelm us. But in those moments, when they do happen, we don't have to show bitterness and anger and wrath. Rather, we show kindness, compassion, and love. And we not only do this to begin the process of reconciliation, but we do this to maintain the unity of the church. And notice that we are able to do this because God first loved us and forgave us through Christ. That in his great love for us, Christ sacrificed himself by bearing upon himself our sins, the ways that we've rejected and despised God, the ways that we have separated ourselves from God, that Christ willingly separated himself from his Father, the one that he has known from the beginning of all eternity, so that we could be forgiven of our sins, meaning that our sins are no longer held against us. And by doing so, Christ has made it possible for those who have placed their faith and trust in him to be reconciled back to him. This is not only true for the Christian, but it's something that is freely available to anyone who comes before God and says, you are the only means to life. The once fractured relationship, the one that was once marked by paroxysms and divine separation has been redeemed. As we come before the only holy and righteous God by the blood of Christ, we can see just how much sin we have been saved from and redeemed from. Because Christ has forgiven us of much sin, we too can forgive others of their sin against us. Because Christ has loved us so much, we we too can walk patiently in love with them, displaying Christ's love to them in the process of reconciliation. And because Christ is the most patient individual that has ever walked the face of the earth, we too can be patient as we endure the long and sometimes difficult and challenging and uncomfortable process of reconciliation. And remember, we don't do this out of our own efforts. We do this through the inner working of Christ's powerful and mighty spirit that is in us, that abides in us. So family, who is it that we need to show compassion and kindness to? Who do we need to love? Who is it that we need to begin this process of reconciliation with? And it's through God's providence and working through this text, I think he's given me several opportunities to do that this past week. I was meeting with someone earlier this week, and as we were talking to me, she mentioned, hey, Justin, when you said this thing, it really hurt me. And I want to tell you that because I don't want to fester to build bitterness towards you. 
And what I really appreciate about that person coming to me, one is she was telling me of my sin against her so I could seek forgiveness and seek that reconciliation. But what I really appreciate about her doing that was she wanted to maintain the unity of the body because she didn't want that bitterness to fester inside her. And I also realized in those moments that my words are very powerful. I realized that I often use my words to tear down rather than build up and strengthen. And I need people in my life to confront me on that so that I become more like Christ. And as we take this long suffering view of reconciliation and conflict resolution, our relationships and ultimately God's church will be strengthened. Note here in verses 40 and 41 that the splitting of Paul and Barnabas allowed the gospel message to reach different parts of the world. For Barnabas and John Mark, it was the Cyprus. And for Paul and Silas, the separation was the beginning of the missionary journey to Europe. Moreover, the work that Paul and Silas was doing was strengthening the churches in Syria and Cilicia. They were helping the churches become even more firm in their faith, that they became more rooted and grounded in their faith. And this shows that God can work even in the midst of conflict that arises between two sinners for his glory and his purposes. Now, I want to be clear that in saying this, that doesn't mean that gives us an excuse to have conflict and to have arguments and justify what we're doing. Rather, it should give us confidence and comfort knowing that God can work all things for his good. And this brings us to verse 1 of chapter 16 where it says that Paul went on to Derby in Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. Paul continues to visit the churches that he helped establish, and when he gets to Lystra, he begins to see the fruit of his labor. He comes across a disciple named Timothy. Scripture tells us much about him. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul speaks of the sincere faith that Timothy had, how it's been cultivated by his grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice. In addition to this, Paul speaks of Timothy as being his beloved and true child in the faith, indicating that Paul had much influence over him, that he spent a lot of time with him, discipling him and building him up. But Paul wasn't the only one that spoke really highly of Timothy. In verse 2, we're told that the brothers and sisters in Lystra and Iconium also spoke highly of him. What's interesting about this is that Iconium was 18 miles away from Lystra, which is about a day's journey. But Timothy's character was so well-known and so well-respected that they even knew about it, even though they were far away. Family, can people say that about our own character? When they think of our names, when we come to their mind, are they quick to say that we're growing in our sanctification, growing in our love of the Lord? Or would they say we're doing the opposite? And if that's the case, how can we come alongside one another to help build each other up so that we can become more like Christ? Continuing on in verse 3, we see that Paul wanted to take Timothy along with him on his missionary journey. Paul, in line with what he's been doing thus far with the churches, wanted to take along this young and proven man to intentionally strengthen him and build him up and prepare him for the work of ministry so that others can replicate what he's doing in the church. This is discipleship. It's bringing others along with us, intentionally building them up in their faith so that they can do it for others. This is how we live out one of C. Refugees' values of being connected. That part of being connected means we disciple one another. And this isn't something that happens across the coffee table. Yes, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But discipleship is so much more than that. It means we bring people along with us in our natural rhythms of life, the everyday mundane, and point them back to Christ. And Paul and Timothy did a lot of walking, I'm sure, from one city to another. They brushed up against a lot of people, had a lot of conversations, but by doing this, Paul enmeshed Timothy in his regular rhythms 
And that's what I used to build up this younger brother in the faith. And part of Paul's discipleship to Timothy was to ensure that he had to be ready to be built up um, for the church, which included going to the Jews. Because Timothy was born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father, uh, he was not circumcised. His father probably forbode that, um, that his father probably raised him up in the Greek traditions rather than the Jewish traditions. But because of this, he was probably not going to be seen with much credibility amongst the Jewish people. But to give him credibility, Paul thought it was best for Timothy to be circumcised. Now, there's a lot of controversy over this, especially in light of what just happened. I mean, the council just said the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, but now Timothy just, or Paul just did this to Timothy. So, like, what's happening here? Well, to answer this, we need to understand that this wasn't a means of ensuring that Timothy was saved. Rather, he did this so that Timothy would be, the, the stigma that Timothy would have had coming out of a mixed marriage would be removed. This was done willingly on Tim, Timothy's part as well. That the circumstances of the circumcision are different than what took place earlier than in Acts 15. And this was done so that the church could be strengthened as Timothy ministered to them and built them up. Moreover, this ensured that the unity of the church would be maintained as not being circumcised on Timothy's part could be a stumbling block to the Jewish churches. And as a result of this work in verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And if we're faithful to our call of making disciples and teaching them to observe all that Christ had commanded, God will certainly use that to strengthen his church and all others to follow him. Family are re-discipling in the same manner as Paul and Timothy, or that Paul did with Timothy and the other churches. Are we inviting people to join us in the everyday mundane of life so that we strengthen them in their faith? Are we teaching our brothers and our sisters and even our kids how to pray and cultivate that deeper relationship with God? Are we teaching them how to engage in conflict correctly, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation? Are we teaching them how to disciple others? Likewise, are we doing the same for those who aren't yet a part of God's family? Are we sharing the good news, the gospel hope that is only found in Christ to those who need to hear it? Family, as we do this work, as we remain steadfast, as we remain immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, we can be confident knowing that the labor that we have for the Lord is not in vain, that God will bear fruit as you invest in his kingdom. We may not always have the privilege of seeing it, but he does. Not only does he see the fruit, he produces that fruit. I love how how over the past few months, you all have done that to me. Uh, Crystal, you might forget about this, and you might not think this is, uh, I, don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but just bear with me, Crystal. Um, a couple, it might have been a month or two ago, Crystal asked me to work in the children's ministry and like help get things set up and assemble some things. And uh, when I got there, uh, Crystal had Jordan with her. And I realized by Jordan being with Crystal, that was a discipleship opportunity for me, that Crystal actually discipled me by showing me how to help build other younger people in their faith and being intentional with them. And it was so encouraging for me to see. I also think about what happened last week when James and me and Andrew went to Gable Oaks of this brother, he's the evangelist, I want to make that clear. Um, But he was so bold in his faith and contextualizing the gospel in ways I've never seen before. And that was so encouraging to me. And it showed me how to be a better witness of Christ. Family, know your work has not been in vain, partly because I've been so much strengthened and encouraged by it. And as I close, I want to leave you with a sticky note, as Jay will often does. Uh, a sticky note remembers that something that helps us to remember the important things that we have throughout the week. So remember this. 
that God uses conflict to strengthen his church. This comes with the caveat that we don't undergo the process or that uh, the caveat that we undergo the process of reconciliation during this conflict. Uh, but we do that because God is big enough and powerful enough to help us through that conflict, to help us to reconcile, to redeem the things that we face. And as he does that, the church will indeed grow in unity and strength. Would you pray with me in that vein? Lord, we thank you that you remain with us and you have not, a, not left us as an abandoned people. We thank you that you are present with us even in the midst of our conflict, even in the midst of things that are hard. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your spirit who works in us and through us so that you can redeem and bring true lasting reconciliation to those who have sinned against us and uh, those we have sinned against. So Lord, we ask you now that you would strengthen us to do the hard work of reconciliation so that the union of the church is maintained and that your glory will be on full display to all those who witness it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.